Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello there, this is Eat Sleep Work Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. It's a podcast about making work better. Bonjour, bonjour. I hope you're well. I've been out and about the last few weeks, evenings taking me to Manchester. I've got events coming up over the next few weeks in Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham, Newcastle, and a few evening events in London too. So, um, But the thing I've really enjoyed over all of that is people coming over and saying hello. So I, I love people coming over and sharing the stories of what they've been doing in their work, work culture or the things that they're really inspired by. So please do come over if you're, if you're able to join any of those events. I'd love to see you there. You can find all of the previous episodes on the website, eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. A couple of things today. One of the things that's consistently popular when we look at the rituals of different organisations are the things that certain companies do to bring their culture to life. So today we'll be chatting to the MD of innovations company, IDEO, Sue Siddle. He's going to tell us how they bring the power of telling stories to life in their organisation. But before that, we've got a legend of workplace study today. So William Kahn was responsible for creating two of the big concepts of positive workplaces. Anyone who studies these things will have used the phrases both psychological safety and employee engagement. If you're interested in psychological safety, not only did I cover it at great length in The Joy of Work, but this week's New Work Now mail-out linked to a full study of Amy Edmondson's new book, The Fearless Organisation. So psychological safety is our ability to admit mistakes, speak up, confess problems. And it tends to build trust and a collective bond between people in organisations. Amy Edmondson spends a lot of time in her book talking through examples of bad psychological safety. So she tells graphic stories about places like VW with Dieselgate, Nokia or Wells Fargo where the the bosses didn't want to hear bad news and threatened employees with severe consequences if they failed. If you're interested in a full study of Edmondson's new book, you'll find it on our Twitter by searching Eat Sleep Work Repeat or on the website eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. So it's sort of the book for people who aren't going to get around to reading the book. 
Now, back to today's discussion. William Kahn coined both of the expressions psychological safety and employee engagement. And he's able to have a degree of distance from what's happened to them since he popularised them because he's really removed himself from the study of them subsequently. He gives an intelligent and evidence-based take on what these concepts represent and how they're being used in modern workplaces. Let's go straight into the discussion with Professor Kahn. Professor William Kahn, Bill Kahn, is Professor of Organisational Behaviour at Boston University's Questrom School of Business. He received his BA in Psychology from Clark University and his Doctorate in Psychology from Yale. Here's Professor Kahn. I'm so thrilled to to talk to you because I guess in the sort of the almost 30 years, 27 years since you um, you put some of your thoughts together, the idea of employee engagement has become massively the, the currency across companies across the world. I wonder if you could just take a step back for us and uh, Professor Khan and give us a sense of what the world was like when you made that that proposal, that suggestion. What were you reacting against? It's a great question. When I did that initial work, it was actually, believe it or not, based off my dissertation. So it was the first real piece of research I had done on my own. And I was really reacting to theories of job motivation, job design, employee alienation, things like that. And most of that, in fact, all of that work really shared a basic premise. And the premise of of that initial work was that individuals were not really at the center of their own job involvement. They were not at the center of that. That is, they were done too. If managers just could figure out the right levers, and those levers were often extrinsic, has been to do with money and promotions and things like that. If they could only figure out the right levers, then employees would essentially move ahead or move forward or work hard or not work hard. I had this sort of gut sense that there was something else going on, that individuals were much more intentional and could make very, very important choices, consciously and, by the way, unconsciously as well, um, to, it, to really bring themselves into the moment of a, of a task or the ongoing life of a role. And when I say bring themselves into, I mean really make themselves personally and emotionally and intellectually available in ways that researchers had not really considered before. That was my sort of impulse. I, I didn't I didn't know what it meant. It was just my it was just my initial impulse. And so, you, from your degree, degree uh, dissertation that you put this together, could you could you maybe help by illustrating as important as the concept of engagement is the concept of disengagement? And yeah. I just wonder if you could you could illustrate what those two states look like. Yeah. So you know, and, and people are pretty familiar with disengagement, um, and they and they sometimes talk in different kinds of language about disengagement. They talk about burnout or. Um, or yes. right, or a sense of emotional exhaustion, you know. But disengagement that, is, that burnout, that yeah. burnout is the thing I'm particularly interested in because disengagement isn't necessarily like this passive aggression, this this sense that you 
you disdain your job. No. But often it no. can be you're just exhausted by it, right? Yes. I mean, I you know, I think of I think of disengagement not as passive aggressive anti an organization. I think it was much more as as someone making themselves absent, right? You know, and you see it when you walk in, you when you walk up to certain people, particularly who have routine service jobs, and you see sort of an absence in their eyes, sort of a no vacancy sign there, right above their forehead, um, and they're just, you know, they don't see you as a person, they don't see themselves as a person in that moment, in that role, in that task performance, right? Um, so there's an absence there, almost a robotic quality. And that's how I initially understood disengagement, that people were just not available. They were not sort of in our common vernacular. They were not online. They were offline. And I, 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 think, right. I think of disengagement as sort of being offline emotionally, intellectually. People aren't curious. They're rote. They're going through the motions as opposed to engagement where there's a sense because there's a human being there. They're alive. They're present. They're they're curious. They're interested, or they're or they're upset, or they're frustrated. I think of people who are frustrated or angry. Sometimes I think they're incredibly engaged. Right? They might not like what's going on, but at least they care about they care about something. Right? They personally care about something. Right? And so that's how I really consider engagement versus disengagement. And you came so in in the initial work, you you have these three concepts: meaningfulness of work, psychological safety, and psychological availability meaningfulness of work I think we can all understand that we can sort of get a sense about that psychological safety has obviously had a lot of coverage subsequently I'd love you to go into psychological availability what you mean by that yeah so initially it was sort of an unformed concept when I first wrote about it availability was really you know in the initial research, it was if someone was just had too many other demands pulling upon them, whether it was family stuff or they were asked to do too many things, then they didn't, they weren't, um, they didn't have the energy. They didn't have the, the stamina or the drive or the fuel to really allow themselves to be fully engaged in the moment, right? There was just, it was, you know, we, we, we can think of it as sort of a gas tank, right? They, their gas tank was just empty, and so they, they just weren't available. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't, and since then, I've thought, it, I've thought about a lot more, this availability piece. Um, and for me, it really has to do with people, again, consciously or unconsciously, making intentional choices to bring themselves to the forefront of the actual interaction or the work that they're actually doing at that moment. And I don't, I, I don't know how those choices are made necessarily. Um, but, but, you know, and, but, and I think it's very related to the notion of safety. That is, I can only, I make myself available. I bring myself to the forefront of my, what I'm doing. Um, when I feel like I'm not going to get hurt in some way, however I define hurt, um, I think those two are intimately related, are related. In fact, I think all three conditions are intimately related. Um, yeah. But I, I think people have a much more intuitive general sense of, of the meaningfulness of work. And I, you know, I, I think in some ways that the, the meaningfulness condition was probably the less innovative part of that work because it was building off things like job design and the meaning of work. I think the safety and availability were the, probably the two sort of more innovative pieces but I think of the three of them as incredibly important. So I guess the reason why this has become the currency of of workplace discussions in the years since is because a lot of the thinking comes down to the idea that if you can 
uh, you can produce a worker who's engaged, then you can access this sort of magical discretionary effort, this sort of yeah the 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 level of commitment goes up there's a sort of superpower that that people apply to it um that we we apply when we we feel like we've got an, an engaged job do, do i just talk through uh, what i'm interested in now is understanding the measurable upside of these have you been able to prove the impact of discretionary effort so here's what's interesting um, and you may or not, may or not know this, but I haven't really worked on engagement explicitly. It was my initial work. I did it for a while, but my work in general is I do theory development. I do this very intensive ethnographic, almost anthropological qualitative work where I go in and I live with people for a while and I interview them and I watch them and I get to know them and to the point where, <clears throat> where they feel like it's, that it's safe enough to really open up to me and, and work with me to explore their, their actual experience of the work they're doing. And from that, I then develop theory. I then develop a framework or concepts like, or dimensions such as meaningfulness, safety, and availability. Other people in the world are much better at and much more drawn to testing theories. Um, so I haven't really, you know, it's a long answer to a, to a, to a short question. I haven't really tested out the impact of these dimensions. I've left it to other people to do, and they've done it. I'm just interested in the whole industry that sprung up from engagement. I used to work in a in a company where, because engagement was measured and then measured down to the team level, team levels, team leaders sort of wandered around, seeing their own scores, and uh, and bosses would sort of mandate that people would give them high scores and and would would stage interventions does does the the subversion of the system disappoint you well let me let me step back for a second and then i'll answer that question i find i've also been intrigued stunned amazed and and disappointed with what has happened with the whole engagement industry and but i want to note that my original work talked about personal engagement um the consulting firms that sprung up or the, 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 the firms that have sort of exploited that, shifted it to employee engagement. And I actually think the shift is really interesting because when I spoke, you know, in my own idealistic, you know, liberal professor way, academic way, when I talked about personal engagement, I was actually thinking about it from the perspective of the person, right? That is, what, what is it that allows them to show up in some powerful, authentic way in the work they're doing, right? Um, and the shift to employee engagement, while subtle, is also incredibly important because that became, that the perspective then became how do organizations get their employees to work harder, um, to use, in your words, discretionary efforts? How do we get them to do it? And so the shift from personal engagement to employee engagement really was a shift from the, the perspective and caring about the, the experience and the humanity of individuals versus how do we care about the organization's desire to get people to work harder. Now, I'm not yeah. saying I'm not saying in that in any way that's a big brother evil thing. 
I just think the shift is really important to note. And so it is no accident, I think, or it does not surprise me that the movement toward engagement metrics and, and sort of team managers understanding that, that their own livelihood and their own financial rewards and their promotions depend on others thinking that they're creating a setting in which people are really engaged. Um, any system like that is bound to be subverted, um, of course. And so am I surprised by it? No. Um, and, and the only other thing I'll, I'll, I'll say here, um, Bruce, is that, um, is that in the shift from personal engagement to employee engagement, the issues of safety and availability really got lost. Um, because again, those are, those are linked to the internal authentic experience of individuals. Does all of that make sense to you? It really does. Because, you know, one of the things I think that um, people might have experienced of, of employee engagement, obviously like transformational idea that's, that's taken hold. But some of the first-hand experiences, especially in the hands of people who are maybe less proficient, some of the first-hand experience feels like a lot of questions and then people are exposed to PowerPoint slides. They're exposed to sort of this 70-slide PowerPoint deck. And to some extent, in the hands of those maybe less accomplished practitioners, these employee engagement programs have replaced good managers and better training for managers. And what you talk about there largely points to the same thing. Yes, I think that's exactly right. Like any useful concept, the people who are looking for ways to authentically engage the people that they're working with or who are working for them and create create really sort of driven people, curious people, authentic people, and to create teams that are vibrant. I think they'll use these ideas in really wonderful ways um, and use any, any idea. They'll be sort of Catholic in their taste. They'll borrow from everywhere and anything, sort of like Bruce, frankly, what you're doing and what sort of is, dri- is driving your quest around these things, right? Whereas other people who are much more instru- instrumental will use this, this concept and this metric like they would any other, which is how does it benefit them? You know, I'm too much of a psychologist to be surprised by that. <laughs> it's a touch like net promoter score, right? The, in the essence, the, the first discovery of that seemed to have some really good truth in it. And you've got to avoid the people then who are trying to co-opt it for their own objectives rather than trying to to serve customers better. Correct. Exactly right. I'm not sure if your your theory inventing uh, perspective will, will give you a, a take on this, but I suspect what motivated you will. You talk about the importance of relationships in the workplace. And, and I, I yeah. just wanted your perspective, especially in the context of employee engagement, <laughs> for you to give me a perspective of how you important you thought workplace friendships are in in the stuff that i saw that you talked um you you wrote you you talked about sort of relationships that facilitated doing the job better but i i was interested whether it even went further than that whether someone having a best friend at work where there was sort of an overlap of work life and, and personal life whether that would actually increase their employee engagement So I think so. And the reason I think so is because having someone with whom you can be open and vulnerable to with to help you think through, to help you sort of really be thoughtful about your experience and unpack your experience and unpack sort of the ways in which you are making choices consciously and not having that I think is the wellspring in some ways of what engagement is because because that kind of experience, you know, off to the side, behind closed doors for 20 minutes during a workday 
can help, you know, that kind of experience is all about safety and making yourself available, which then I think translates into what does it mean to become more thoughtful and intentional and alive in your interactions with others. I think, I think we, sh- we all have that experience. You know, there's a developmental psychologist, um, British from, um, named John Bowlby. Um, and he wrote wonderfully about a concept called a secure base. And he developed it around sort of parent child relationships, but it fits really well with adult adult relationships. And a secure base essentially is when someone is startled or confused or upset or frustrated to go back to someone who helps them both understand their experience and make interpretations about the, about the situation that then allows that person to go off again and explore and create um, and, um, and, and produce. That's what friendship at work does when it works really well. And I don't think anyone can be fully engaged without that. Yeah, and it's also a harder thing to, for, I mean, I guess it's the sort of thing that would be lost by people who are trying to game the numbers, right? I, I read you say something like that uh, employee engagement works best when we treat people as real partners. I think that was the expression you used. I'm trying to yeah. find it in my notes. Yeah. And, yeah. and it seems like that. It's like when you treat this as like an emotionally empathetic attempt to build a, a sort of a tightly bonded team of people who yeah. respect each other, that works really well. When you've got a cynical perspective of just trying to shift the metrics, that might be lost in that process. Yes, that's exactly right. And, you know, and I, I think the word cynical is, is well used there, right? Because, it, you know, when someone is, when someone is, I think cynical is in some ways a function of disengagement, right? Because there, you know, when I say engagement, it's, it really is about a notion of authenticity. That is the person in all their flaws and, and, and curiosities and gifts and strengths and weaknesses, they show up, right? Um, now they do it in, in ways that are, thoughtful and, and sort of um, situationally aware of what's going on around them. So they're not, they're not sort of, you know, they're, they're, within, they're within the boundaries of perfect behavior, but they're human, right? And they're messy and chaotic. People who are cynical, I think, you know, in some ways they're disengaged because there's such a calculation, right? You know, when I think of people who are fully disengaged, they calculate precisely, not consciously, but unconsciously calculate precisely how much they actually have to show up in any moment of interaction or, or work, um, and they do the minimum amount, the minimal amount possible in order to complete the task without in any way putting themselves at risk or or of depletion of energy or relationship. Yeah, that's it. That sense of that'll do. It's just good enough to get you over the hurdle, but no more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Back with more of the interview with Professor Khan and an inspiring story from IDEO straight after this. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Now back to the show. In the 27 years since you, you sort of gifted this concept to the world, is what's the thing that you've been most proud of? But is there anything in particular that you feel you've been inspired and, and proud of that in particular? I would say that I am most proud of the fact that people, that, that people use the concept of engagement, even if it is simply employee engagement. When they use the word engagement, it brings them to a different conversation than that of job involvement or commitment. That is engagement really is, you know, if you think about the, the genesis of the word engagement, you know, initially it's about, you know, betrothal, um, betrothal, right? It's about sort of marriage. It's about, or it's about sort of engaging the clutch of a car, right? All of that has to do with the intentionality of someone to make a commitment to move ahead either in a task or in a relationship. And I, what I really love about the word engagement, the fact that people use it is, it brings them to a place, to a conversation, where they're thinking about the intentionality of the person and the agency of the person, as opposed to the usual, more passive narratives that essentially leave workers as victims of, of other people's um, desires. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And, and any movement which has set about trying to foster the happiness and the the day-to-day connection of people with their jobs and their colleagues has to be a good thing right yeah you said that much better than i did it's been an honor to speak to you thank you so much for your generosity of time as well oh absolutely Thanks to Professor Khan. Now, I mentioned listeners love to draw inspiration from other organisations and the company IDEO draws admiring glances from many people who study great cultures. To the extent that quite often IDEO find themselves being asked to design new working cultures and new working practices for other companies. One of the ways they keep their innovations alive is by the rituals they create. And I love hearing about rituals that different companies have developed. There's a famous quotation from literature professor Joseph Campbell. He says, if you want to understand what's most important to society, don't examine its art or literature. Simply look at its biggest buildings. And I think if you want to understand what a company values, look at the rituals it gives time to. If a company values employee interaction, there should be a social meeting. If companies value creativity, then they should set time away aside for creativity. Sue Siddle is the UK MD of IDEO. 
And I was really fascinated with so many things that IDEO can teach us about their culture. IDEO have, have been innovators for companies like Apple, Lego, some of the heartiest names around. I went and chatted to Sue and she told me about one ritual that they've created to show what they value. Here's Sue. We have something called story nights which started in New York actually but we're now doing in London we did it we do it every year the idea is that we pick a topic each year and five people volunteer to tell a story around it now storytelling is a really important part of our business and creative cultures so it's actually building a skill and those that that choose to take it up also get training on storytelling so last year it was unrequited love was the theme so quite personal (laughs) quite Potentially embarrassing, really putting yourself out there. I did it. I put my hand up Hello, for it. Hello, right, I okay. Did it. And uh, we go to a local pub, the same pub, and we take over the top floor and there's, you know, a stage and everyone turns up and everyone tells their stories. Time limit or no? Uh, it's roughly sort of 20 minutes. Okay. Wow, it's big now stories. Here's, wow. Here's, here's what happens every year. And I did it last year. Here's what happens is the day before, everybody who's doing it tries to cancel it. No, no, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, we've got too much world work, because they are terrified of getting up and telling a personal story in front of the rest of the... Or suspect in their head when they agreed it was going to be this beautifully rendered, creative thing. Then they realise they've got no time to do it. And then you're sort of like, I feel so vulnerable. I'm standing up in front of my colleagues, which are often the most, you know, sort of tough audience, I Mm. suppose, or you think they are. And and, and every year, Lorraine, who's head of experience, who, who runs that, goes, nope, we're doing it. Sorry, we're doing it, overriding you, and we all, we all do it, and it ends up being brilliant. Yeah. And, and what it does is it, um, one, it allows us to laugh at each other. Yeah. Two, it allows us to be vulnerable in front of each other, and it allows us to develop a skill around storytelling that, that we all need. And things like that, again, creating safe havens for people to be creative and be vulnerable and connect with each other in different ways other than just work, I think is really important in terms of collaboration, um, really helping people understand how to collaborate outside of work as well as inside of work. Two fun discussions today. Thank you to both Sue Siddle and Professor Khan. Unbelievably, our next episode is an interview with business guru Jim Collins, who will be talking about his legendary book, Good to Great, and much, much more. You can find all of the episodes at the website, eatsleepworkrepeat.fm and you can connect to me on Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you fancy. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.